Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is episode 8 of The Milkman of St. Gaffs, a serialized fiction podcast. I'm thrilled this week to be able to give shout-outs to new patrons. Alex Schult, Milkman, White Badge. Daniel, Milkman, White Badge. Chris Main, Fly Sprayer. Headley, Apprentice. Dr. Teeth, Apprentice. Jean-Philippe Peltier. Department of Lactic Affairs Radio Clerk. Lise Kuhlman, Milkman White Badge, Luke Jordan, Fly Sprayer, and Mateusz, Apprentice. Thank you very much for your support. It really is a thrill to have you on board. I'd also like to thank Mohamed Abduhu for buying me a coffee. And good job Elise, whose Twitter handle is LizMakesNoise, for identifying Satie as the composer of the piece I used in the last episode. If you did want to get in touch, I'm on Twitter at Howie Milkman. You can find the transcript and information about how to support the show at HowieMilkman.com, and you can send an email to Chris at HowieMilkman.com. You can also find the shop at HowieMilkman.com if you would like to have a t-shirt or a mug with a bloody milk bottle and a scary cow's head that everyone will ask you about. And with that, let's get on to the episode. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gaffs, starring Howie the Milkman.
I looked out the window. It was still dark. And I saw someone in a long black coat. He was staring up at me, but I couldn't really see his face. There was a boat motor in the distance. Probably the noise had woken me up. I just kept looking at him, and he just kept looking back up at me. I threw on my uniform and ran outside, but he was gone. It was creepy. But what was even stranger, all those birds, the, the dead ones, they were all perched along the pier. They weren't making any noise. I thought they were watching me too. One took off and flew out over the sea. Then the rest followed. I just stood and watched them fly into the red sunrise until they disappeared. And somehow I knew that they wouldn't be back. Did anything else happen, or was that the whole dream? Oh, that wasn't a dream. That's what happened this morning. Are you sure that really happened, Howie? Sometimes we can have what are called waking dreams, especially early in the morning or late at night. Sure, I'm sure. I've been up ever since. Dr. Barrett had me lying on a couch. He said this was a new medical procedure he'd just learned about, where he'd ask me questions and get me to remember things. And then he said, once we'd figured out the root of my problems, they would just unravel like a knot being untied. He wasn't charging me anything, and his couch was actually more comfortable than my bed at home. And if he could figure out why I had these spells, all the better. Dead birds, Howie? Sure, you, you must have seen them, or at least heard about them, right? They've been bothering people in town for weeks. I did hear stories, but I didn't put much stock in them. But the police spent an afternoon trying to shoot them. You mean you don't even believe they existed? What I tell you is protected by client-patient privilege, right? Yes, something like that. Well, I'll tell you something I didn't tell anyone before. I actually found a small sinkhole in the parking lot of the milk receiving station. I kind of picked at it a bit and, well, that's where those birds came from. They all came flying out at me. You don't believe me. He gave me a sort of condescending look, took a big breath like he was about to expound on something really important. The leading theory in the medical community is that these stories, visions, are a kind of culturally determined hallucination. There's no question that there are creatures that we don't understand living underground, and that they're dangerous. So dangerous that we don't dare dig very deeply. But just because we don't understand these creatures doesn't mean they're monsters or spirits. Even if the whole society is convinced otherwise, there's no such thing as ghosts, Howie, and that includes the ghosts of dead birds. I really was surprised at what he'd said and was thinking about how to respond, but it turned out he didn't really want me to respond. He just changed the subject like the matter was closed. Why don't you tell me about any dreams you do remember? Well, Doctor, I don't usually remember my dreams. But you told me you were plagued by visions. 
the episodes, but I, I think those really happen. I sometimes come to with bruises. I chipped a tooth, and look, I pulled up my pant leg and showed him where the dog bit me. It was mostly healed up, but it looked awful. The doctor looked concerned. You should have let me look at that after it happened, Howie. As if I could afford to go see the doctor every time I got a cut. And you should report any strays to the police, especially if they're dangerous. It's okay, he was only after me, and I killed him, I think. He pursed his lips. I don't think he was taking me seriously. Well, why don't you tell me about one of your episodes then? So I told him about the other night when it seemed like I'd fallen into the ocean and it was an ocean of blood and I came out and saw my father and we walked through the apple orchard. I told him how my dad disappeared and the trees turned black and tried to grab me. Dr. Barrett thought about this and wrote some notes. Then he began. The new theory developed by Dr. Vankelhofen and his followers is that these very powerful dreams are in fact wishes. In those terms, your dream is quite straightforward. You wish your dad was dead. I jumped at this. No, I don't. Why would I wish that? I don't know, Howie. Then why did I dream trees were attacking me? He thought another second. You wish to be punished for wanting your father dead. This line of thinking frightened me, but Dr. Barrett didn't actually know anything. So it's all in my head then? It's not real? I'm afraid so, Howie. Your dreams are just a window into the subterranean part of your soul, nothing more. He turned off the phonograph at this point, which was a relief. Dr. Barrett loved all things that came from Briggis. Dr. Vankelhofen's new dream theories and all the weird, tuneless music they were making over there. I guess the doctor wished he could live in Briggis, but instead he was on St. Gaff's taking care of the likes of me. I felt bad for him. About the same time, there was some kind of commotion outside the doctor's house. We heard a cry for help, and Dr. Barrett ran to the front door. I got up more slowly since I'd been lying down for a while now. When I got to the front room, I was completely shocked to see Mr. and Mrs. Mullen dragging McMurdle, unconscious it seemed, into the house. We found him like this, passed out by the rubbish heap. Help me get him on the table, the doctor said. The three of them hoisted Albert up. He seemed to be rather a heavy fellow, despite how lanky he looked. M maybe it's because he was so completely limp. Howie. Some help here, please? The doctor shouted at me. I grabbed McMurdle's arm and we got him up. It had been two or three days he'd been missing. It caused a lot of problems down at the station since the rest of us milkmen had to cover his route. And we had to help the police look for him. At least we wouldn't have to scour the outskirts of town anymore. The doctor got a candle and opened McMurdle's eyes. The pupils are dilating. He's not dead. Now that I got a better look, McMurdle was really pale and awful looking. We don't know how long he's been here. We tried to talk to Morley, but you know how he is. Old Morley was the one who took care of the town dump. 
but he wasn't very good at his job. He always talked about how he was writing a great tome of a book about the orbits of the moon, and he shouted at anyone who requested that he do his job and dispose of some of the trash mountain piled up outside his shack. He's apoplectic, severely dehydrated, malnourished. I'll have to feed him with a tube. The doctor was rooting around in his cabinet, looking for a tube, I supposed. When he'd found what he was looking for, he ran into the kitchen. Damn it, nothing here. Then he came running back in. Howie, go down and get me a bottle of milk. Quickly, I don't think he's got much time. Sure thing, doctor. The doctor's place was only a couple of blocks from the milk station. On the way, I was thinking about what the doctor had said. Was it possible that my spells were just in my head? If that were true, I wouldn't have to worry about them so much. But really, I wasn't convinced. Billy was looking particularly cheerful in the red afternoon sun when I got to the station. I tipped my hat to him and went in. Beaver was the only one still there. Corwin wants to see you, he said. I couldn't imagine what he wanted me for, but I went over to his office and knocked on the door. It's Howie. Come in. It was always dark in Corwin's office. He had the curtains drawn all the time, wood panels, a small kerosene lamp on his desk. Have a seat, Howie. You've been doing a good job for us. Don't think it's going unnoticed. I felt a warm glow spread over me as I sat in one of the red leather chairs. I don't mind telling you that I'm seriously considering you for a red badge. We're unexpectedly short-handed, as you know, and war is good for promotion if nothing else. More importantly, it's very difficult to find someone like you. Now the warm glow felt even warmer. We protect our own Howie. Becoming a milkman, and I mean a real milkman, means you're part of a brotherhood that extends far beyond the shores of this island. It's a lifetime commitment. Do you have any family, Howie? Well, none to really speak of, no. Good, good. I'd like you to be here tonight around midnight, in uniform. Yes, sir. Also, the situation with the police has escalated. It's a nuisance more than anything, but it's a nuisance we have to take care of. I need you to tell me who might be speaking to the police about you. I furrowed my brows and told him I'd work on thinking about it. I was about halfway home when I stopped in my tracks. I was so excited about what Corwin had said I'd forgotten to tell him about McMurdle. And then I remembered I was supposed to get milk for him. I ran back to the station, but it was closed. I ran back to the doctors. Howie, where have you been? The station was closed. I went door to door asking for milk, but no luck. From the look on his face, I didn't think he believed me. I could see that Dr. Barrett already had a milk bottle upended on some contraption, and that it was dripping into a tube going into McMurdle's mouth. Luckily, the neighbor had some. It's okay, Howie. You can go. I'll do my best with him. Having done my good deed for the day, I made my way to the druggists.
I'd been meeting with Stormy there the past couple of afternoons, and now it was like a standing date. We'd decided not to tell anyone about what happened to McMurdle. People might get the wrong idea. And, as Stormy said, he did go down there with an act of his own free will. I went in, and there was the usual crowd. Stormy and her friend Molly were at the bar. Hi, Howie, Stormy said. You'll never guess where I just was. Where? At Dr. Barrett's. The Mullins found McMurdle. He was passed out in the dump, nearly dead. The doctor needed my help to save him. It was hard work, but we got him stabilized. He looks awful, all pale and haggard. The girls were wide-eyed. Can we go see him? The doctor said McMurdle needs his space for at least a few days. He wants me to check in because, like I said, he needs my help. But it's best if no one else goes in there. Did Albert say what happened to him? Molly asked. Stormy and I gave each other a secret look. He was passed out. Paraplectic, I think the doctor said. Wow, Molly said. I got the new issue of Eliza. We can read it together later. She handed it to me. There was a picture of Eliza in a deep, dark jungle, a machete in her hand. Just then, Ryan, a milkman about my age, walked by. You read Eliza Pike? She's for girls. No, she's not, Stormy said. Ryan huffed and walked off. Some people don't know anything. I have to go to the ladies' room. When Stormy was gone, Molly leaned over to me. Do you want some advice? You should kiss her. I'll kiss her when the time is right. Molly didn't look convinced. Later, we were all talking when Naomi came in. She didn't hang around with the rest of everyone else. She just went to the pharmacist, Mr. Goucher, and was getting some kind of medicine. She's so weird, always dressed like a fisherman, Stormy said. Naomi saw me and waved, and I waved back. You know her? Sure, she's on my route. Us milkmen get to know everyone. Later, Stormy and I were walking downtown. It was late in the afternoon. I was supposed to be walking her home, but we just ended up walking all over town. I told her my dreams about the future, and she told me about hers. I think we were both trying to shape them so they'd run together. She said I should go with her one weekend up to Ska where her aunt lived. We could sneak into the lighthouse, she said. We were getting close to the pub I went to a while back, O'Heather's. I mentioned it because we saw Inspector Piercy walking towards us from the direction of the pub, and he wasn't walking very steadily. He saw me and made a jagged sort of beeline for us. Stormy leaned in and held my hand, and I could tell he was already making her nervous. Hey there, Howie, you're in for it now, boyo. You thought we were done with you, hey? What are you talking about? You'll see. And with that, he staggered off down the road. Stormy and I were still holding hands, and they were all warm and sweaty. What was that about? I puffed out my chest and tried to look like a ruffian. The coppers are always harassing me. They know they can't boss me around on account of me being from a rough part of Mingsbite. I don't take any guff from him. He ain't got nothing on me. 
With that, Stormy pinned me to the wall of a shop. All of a sudden, I felt like the world disappeared and I was floating and warm and dizzy, like I'd gone to heaven. It took me a bit before I realized she was kissing me. I could feel her tongue and smell her hair with some strawberry or vanilla perfume. We were holding each other's hands, fingers interlaced, and I could have stayed like that forever. Milker for all she's worth, milkman! We were right beside the bar, and I guess some guys had come out and saw us. Stormy and I opened our eyes, and we looked right at each other, up close. I'd never noticed just how green and pretty her eyes were. We didn't look at whoever made the comment. We just giggled and kept walking, hand in hand. And I don't think I'd ever been so happy in my entire life. I'd never kissed anyone before. After more walking and a couple of more kisses, we got to her house. There was one last kiss. Good night, Howie. Good night, Stormy. I stepped down from her porch. It was dark now. And there, standing in the middle of the road, was the man in the long, dark coat. He was watching me. I still couldn't see his face at all. I started walking home, and I could tell he was following me. I didn't really feel like being home alone with this strange person on my tail. I still had my uniform on, so I just went early to the milk station. When I was within Billy's reassuring gaze, I felt safer. I knocked on the door. Frank was inside. No one else was there yet. It was still a few hours until midnight. Hey, young fella. You're a real keener, aren't you? Listen, Frank, I think someone's been following me. Frank was usually pretty easygoing and joked a lot, but you could tell you didn't want to cross him. He was a big guy. When I told him about being followed, he got really serious. Where? I don't know where he is now. I saw him outside my window this morning. And then on the street when I was coming here, he just keeps staring at me. All right, let's go. We left the milk station and looked around. We walked around for a while, but didn't see the man again. Frank was getting a little less tense. I think he's gone. Let's head back. Actually, you had any dinner? We got sandwiches and just sat around chatting. I told him about Stormy. a boy, buddy. It was getting close to midnight when he said, Listen, Howie, tonight we're just checking in on the old girl, okay? So nothing too crazy, but since it's your first time, you just hang back and don't say or do anything, okay? I must have looked a bit spooked. Hey, relax, you're with us. It'll all make sense eventually, trust me. We went outside and waited for Corwin to come out of his office. Beaver and Walker were there. It was starting to cloud over. And to my surprise, Ryan was there too. He also looked nervous. We weren't really buddies or anything, so we didn't say anything to each other. Frank went over to Corwin and said something quietly to him. They were both looking at me. I couldn't hear what Frank said, but I did hear Corwin. It's under control. When it was time, we entered Corwin's office. 
I knew it was totally illegal to be underground. No one was allowed to dig, let alone go exploring. But I was with sworn officers of the Department of Lactic Affairs, and they did work for the government. All the milk facilities were nationalized when I was a kid. Corwin, Beaver, and Frank put on great flowing robes in silence and lit lanterns. Then Corwin pulled back the curtains, and I was surprised to see that instead of windows, there was a great wooden door. Corwin took a key out and unlocked the door. Then we all filed into the darkness. They walked slowly. It was hard to see the ground as we went down a set of wooden steps. A very long set of stairs that still smelled of new lumber. The steps were wide, about five feet across, but there was no handrail and you couldn't see the bottom or anything else for that matter. No walls. The lanterns lit us up, but nothing else. After a while, it was like I couldn't make sense of what was up and what was down. I got dizzy, but if I just kept looking at the steps and nothing else, I was okay. At the bottom, we walked out onto some gritty black gravel or sand. It was like being on a rough beach. We walked on, our feet sinking into the sand, which made it slow going. And there were rocks I tripped over in the dark. The others seemed to know the way, but I had no idea how. It was cold down there. There was no wind and the air was weirdly thin. Still, I felt like I knew something about these underground places none of the others did, and it scared me. We walked, I don't know how far, maybe it was only a few steps, but in the dark, creeping along, you couldn't tell. I started hearing whispers, my imagination probably. It was almost like they were saying my name. Even here, the lanterns hardly cast any light. I was shivering. It seemed like we were walking along the side of a lake of black water. I could feel dark eyes peering out at me from the water. There was a barely visible gray glow coming from underneath. And then I was aware of large objects, like trees, black, stretching up beyond the lantern light. Once we got to this forest-type place, Corwin stopped. I was at the end of the procession. Out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw the red eyes of the Doberman, but that was impossible, and I wouldn't have been able to say anything even if I'd wanted to. Corwin's voice shattered the quiet. Mamifa. He took a milk bottle out of his robe. It was glowing green. Somehow, the air seemed warmer all of a sudden. There were footsteps. Something big was coming. Then, several blood-red eyes opened a few feet above us, and there was a deafening snort. I opened my mouth to scream, and I felt the blood drain from my face as I realized what I was seeing. I froze and stared. In the darkness, it was hard to make out. Huge, muscly legs. It was on four legs, and it loomed over us. Corwin held up the milk bottle. The thing saw it, lowered its head, glistening leathery skin. 
A slobbery mouth opened and a gory tongue eased out. Corwin poured the contents of the milk bottle into the lapping tongue. It was huge, with two enormous horns, vaguely bovine, but with six eyes. It slurped up whatever kind of milk it was. Corwin, I couldn't believe my eyes, went under the thing and ran his hands over what must have been its belly. It's not time yet. Then the thing turned its gaze to me, and it screamed. I don't know if you ever heard a cow scream, but this was much worse. It took a step towards me, thrusting its awful head at me. I couldn't stand it anymore and ran. In the blackness, I fell, scraping my leg on a rock. I tried to run back the way we'd come, but in the pitch I couldn't tell. Frank, holding a lantern, ran after me. Howie, stop! It saw me! I followed the shore, if that's what it was, and found the stairs, thanks mostly to Frank's lantern. But Frank stayed at the bottom, and I ran, stumbling back up the stairs. I got to Corwin's office and didn't stop. I ran outside. There was heavy rain and thunder. But it felt better to be here. I was getting soaked walking home. Then someone sidled up to me with an umbrella, Mr. Floorsham. Howie, what's wrong, lad? You having a night terror? Wake up, Howie, wake up. I'm awake, I just had to get outside for a minute. He looked suspiciously at me and glanced down at my leg. Uniform's torn. You wear your uniform to bed, Howie? I, I haven't been home yet. Ah, let's duck under here. We got under the awning of a shop. I was shivering with cold again. Mr. Florsham had a heavy coat on. You need an umbrella if you're going to be walking around in this weather, son. Oh, I, I just uh, forgot. I don't, I ha don't have one. He looked closely at me. How's the bite? The bite? A dog bit you. You showed me, remember? I did not remember. You're getting to be quite the Nighthawk, just like me. I'd more or less caught my breath by this point and hadn't really been following what he was talking about. Don't take this the wrong way, Howie, but maybe you need some help with your nights to sleep better. And then it dawned on me. It was Floorsham. He'd seen me. It was him who was talking to the police. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Grainger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Grainger, for the ones who get it done. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.